Spirit, we invite you into this moment, into this time. You've been here, but we invite you to, to open up our eyes, open up our ears and hearts, that we might receive the word you have for us this morning out of the prophet Micah. We ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my uh, wife Laura and I, we, we love to hike. And actually, I'm getting, we're getting to go on vacation this Thursday. I'm really excited. We're, we're, we're heading out to the Redwoods of California, and we're going to see the Redwoods and Crater Lake and some other things. And that's going to be really exciting. And actually, it's going to take us, this is going to be, I think, after this trip, we'll have done 42 out of 48 national parks in the continental U.S., which is amazing. It's pretty crazy. We are so privileged and blessed to be able to do that. We love being out there. Uh, and I have to tell you, one of our, our very first trip out to the national parks was in 2013, and we're heading out to the Badlands in South Dakota. And, uh, and it began through the drive, began the drive through South Dakota and I-90. And if you've ever driven out that way, you soon discovered that there isn't much out there. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, there's like nothing. There's nothing on I-90. There's no, there's no houses. There's no buildings. There's, there's really nothing to look at. There, we hardly saw any cars there. There's no people. There's nothing except there is these hundreds of signs for this place called Waldrug. How many people know what I'm talking about with Waldrug? You've seen this. It's on I-90, and it's like 500 miles. There's Waldrug. And I have no idea what this place is. And we're like, Waldrug, this, this must be an amazing place. It's, they're advertising it 500 miles out. And they just, and they just keep coming. You're, this is the only thing you're seeing on your drive. And then they, they give you the sign that says, Waldrug, and this, this, and this is what got you, free water. <laughs> and I, I look, at, look at Laura, honey, free water. We got, we got to stop. This is amazing. We got free water here. Oh, my goodness. We got to stop at Waldrug. And now, when you figure out what Waldrug is, come to find out, it's a tourist trap. It's got all kinds of trinkets and souvenirs, and it's the middle of nowhere. And now, we didn't, we didn't drive 15 hours to go buy a cowboy-themed keychain. But you know what? We stopped anyway. We stopped. We got, we got sidetracked on our trip, and their advertisements work. In fact, Waldrug attracts 2 million visitors per year. 2 million. It's a town in the middle of nowhere, and it's a totally tourist trap. It was souvenirs. That's all there is. There's not much to it. You know, we didn't drive out to go there. We went to go see the Badlands, but somehow we ended up in Waldrug, South Dakota. And I think sometimes that, that's a portrait. That's a picture of our life. life. Life is a journey. Life is a walk. And, you know, some people, they don't have any idea where they're going, so they wander aimlessly through life, which is sad, because we only get one, one shot at this. But for most of us, we have a sense that, yeah, there is, th this is going somewhere. My life has some type of meaning. There's a purpose for my life. We have a sense that God has called us to do something with our lives, but we get sidetracked so easily, don't we? We are distracted more than ever. I mean, it's crazy how many distractions there are these days. You can binge whole seasons of TV shows right from your living room. How many, how many people have done that? Let's, let's be honest. How many people have binged? I've done it. We've all done, many people have done it. We have, we have computers in our pockets. We have all kinds of opportunities to distract us. And like signs for wall drug, we get distracted. We get sidetracked away from what God has called us to do with our lives. We settle for the trinkets at Waldrug instead of the glory of the Badlands. But it's, it's, it's not only the world that help, makes us lose focus from God and what he's called us to. Sometimes it's even how complicated we make the Christian life. 
You know, there's, there's things to do, there's commands to obey, there's, there's events to attend, there's groups to be a part of, there's board meetings that you got to come to. There's all kinds of things, and sometimes we can make it so complicated that we forget to do the main thing. We, don't, we, we get sidetracked where we're not keeping the main thing the main thing. And now all these things are good, but how do we keep the main thing the main thing in the midst of all the demands of, for our attention? Of all the demands in our lives, how do we keep focused on what God has called us to? And that begs the question, well, what is the main thing? What is, what is the purpose for our lives? How are we supposed to live? What should I pursue? How should I spend my time? What will make for a life well lived in the end? Well, my friends, I believe the prophet Micah helps us answer this question. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning, walking through that chapter, or the first part of it anyway. We've been in a series called Major Messages for the Minor Prophets, walking through the Minor Prophets each week, and today is Micah. And now Micah, he, he prophesied in the latter part of the 8th century B.C. He's shortly after Amos and Hosea. Now Amos, Hosea, and Jonah, they were all prophets uh, uh, to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now Micah's a little different. He's prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah now. And what's happening is the sins for which the northern kingdom was judged, they're now beginning to trickle down and affect and infect the southern kingdom of Judah. And we know that Israel was defeated and destroyed by the superpower Assyrians in 722 B.C. by the judgment of God. And now Micah is saying that Judah is in the same danger because of, the, of getting sidetracked away from what God has called them to do. I mean, the people of Micah's day, they were very sidetracked. They were, yes, they were, they're still worshiping Yahweh, their God. They're making sacrifices. They're ministering at the temple. But that was not the main thing that God was looking for from them. I mean, woe, woe to us when we keep up the outward rituals of our faith, but we lose sight of the main thing that God is calling to in our lives. You know, people in Micah's day, they were, they were treating each other unjustly. Leaders were getting richer through greed. Prophets, they would actually, the many prophets of the day, they would only prophesy good things if the people would give a little bit more money. The poor were deprived of their land and their security. The judges accepted bribes. The wealthy were favored over the poor in the courts. Things were very sidetracked and upside down. And eventually things got so sidetracked that they stopped seeing things altogether from God's point of view. Look at what Micah says. It's on the screen in Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. He's calling out the leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil. The people in Micah's day, they were so sidetracked, they were so sideways and upside down that they actually were hating the good that God loves and they were loving the evil that God hates. And the reality was, it was completely rational to them. This wasn't like they knew it. I mean, we, we can make so many rationalizations to get so sidetracked, to get so far away from God's will and God's ways that it, the culture and what we do, we can get so sidetracked from what God is calling us. And things are so bad that when we get to Micah chapter 6, Micah uses the imagery of a courtroom. And God is taking the people to court. He's taking them to court. Can you imagine how frightening that would be where God is calling you to court? He's calling them to court. This is what he's doing. And in verse 1, he's going to plead his case against the people. And the mountains and the hills, they're his witnesses because they've seen everything that's gone on this whole time. They've been around. They've seen what's happened. So verses 1 through 2, Yahweh takes them to court and he pleads his case. Verse 3 through 5, he begins to present his case. And look what, he, look what God says in chapter 6, verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? 
How have I burdened you? Answer me. Answer me. You see, God asked the people, did I do something wrong? Did I do anything wrong you? Have I burdened you in some way? And I think this is an incredible insight into the mind of God and into how things work in our lives and how we so, get so easily sidetracked. And I believe that this, this passage here is going to show us very quickly three things that we do that get us so sidetracked from God. And the first is this. We begin to think that God has somehow wronged us. We get sidetracked because we think that God has wronged us. We, be, we begin to say, well, mate, God didn't create me the way I was supposed to be created, or God didn't do enough for me, or God allowed this horrible thing to happen in my life, or God, why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you get me out of the situation? And you get mad at God for the circumstances of your life. And it reminds me of Jonah that we talked about last week. You're, you're mad at the vine that, that's, that's being destroyed, the circumstances of life, and you're so mad, and you blame God that God has wronged you. So it sidetracks you. And the second thing we begin to do when we get sidetracked is we begin to think that God has burdened us. He somehow burdened us. We begin to think, ah, it's too hard to follow God. His commandments, His ways, it's, it's too much of a burden. Following Him is too costly. It asks too much. And so we begin to think His ways are a burden to us and not healing and hope to our lives. And these are the tricks that Satan uses in our lives. They're like, they're like bait and we take it so easily and they sidetrack us from the main thing. And so God asked the question, how have I wronged you? How have I burdened you? What have I done? And when you think about it, I think there's honestly, there's nothing we can truly say in, in, in response to this question, isn't there? I think this is why God wants us to think through it. Has God wronged you? How has he been a burden to you? Answer him. The reality is, no answer can be given. The people remain silent. God has not wronged them. He has not been a burden. On the contrary, look at what God has done, verses 4 through 5. I brought you up out of Egypt. He's redeemed them out of slavery with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. He's given them great leaders, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And I want to point out, he gives them a woman as a leader. We believe in women in ministry. He's given them a woman as a leader here. And then he says, my people, remember what I did for Balak and Balaam. He delivers them from a curse. He protects them. And then he talks about this journey that they go on from Shittim to, to Gilgal. And what he's talking about there, if you remember the story, is when he parts the, the Jordan River and they finally enter the promised land. He's talking about these miraculous things that he's done for the people. And I think this gives us insight into, into the third way that we get sidetracked. We forget and disregard all that God has done for us. We so easily forget and disregard all he's done for us. I mean, a lot of the things that God has done for us are in the past, right? I mean, but unfortunately, we, we often have kind of a, a what have you done for me lately attitude with God. What have you done for me lately, God? But we have to remember and give thanks for all that God has done. Look at this quote. Scholar Gary Smith says this, As Micah knows, a group that does not remember what God has done for it will soon not please God with its actions. They will get sidetracked. They will get sidetracked from the main thing. Friends, we have to remember. We have to remember that, G that Jesus came down. He became a little human baby. He took on all the frailties of our human life and flesh, and he, and he came 
and became like one of us so that we could become like him. We have to remember that he taught us about the kingdom, that when he came, he taught us to love our enemies. He taught us how to pray. He gave us parables. He gave us stories. He gave us commands. He gave us wisdom, all so that we could live into his kingdom and live new lives. We have to remember that Jesus was betrayed, that he was arrested, that he was beaten, that he was flogged, that a crown of thorns was placed upon his head, and that he was nailed through his hands and through his feet to the cross, and he was killed, all so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled to God. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Can I get, hear an amen? Can I hear an hallelujah? I know you guys are all Swedes and covenanters, but we got to respond to this, because friends, we have to remember, we have to remember that death did not hold him down. We have to remember that Satan could not be defeated, that evil had no power over him, that the grave had no power over him, and that he rose to new life so that you could find new life. We have to remember that he sent us his Holy Spirit so that we could have ongoing communion with him. We have to remember that he gave us the Bible so that we could learn his ways and find life. Amen? We have to remember that he gave us each other, the church, the body of Christ, so that you wouldn't have to be lonely, so that you could grow up in your faith. We have to remember that he has provided us leaders and teachers and servants and pastors and preachers in your life so that you could follow him and be in his ways. We have to remember Faith Covenant, that he has changed lives in this church and he is going to keep doing it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. God is so good. And that is why we have to worship. We have to keep worship at the center of our lives because we remember what God has done. We give thanks for all that he has done in our lives. We cannot forget, and we always have to give thanks. So God, he tells the people, remember what I've done for you. And he lays out his case in the courtroom. He says, I have, I have upheld my part of the covenant. I have done great things for you. And then in verses 6, six through 7, we get the transition the people then begin to present their defense in the courtroom. And they say, well, what should I come with before the Lord? And bow before him. And they list all these things. Should I come with burnt offerings and a calf a year old? And would he, would he be pleased with thousands of rams and all, all this rivers of oil? All these things would God be pleased with? You see, they thought, man, if I could just bring God more stuff, if I could just bring him more things, if I could just do this, God, would you be satisfied? And then the verdict, the verdict comes in the courtroom. And the answer is one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. Verse 8. It's none of that stuff. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is the main thing that God is asking of his people? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. That is the verdict that is being laid down. And so let me just spend a little bit of time this morning just going over these, these three areas. Let's talk about the first part, act justly. Act justly. What does that mean? Well, acting justly means it's, it means to do what is right and fair and just in all our relationships to human beings, in all our relationships to the world. In fact, it has the connotation of promoting justice in the society, promoting justice in the community, making sure people are taken care of. And so this almost always, uh, what always happens is in the community, there are certain people who are easily taken advantage of who are easily not treated justly, who need extra help. And so you see this all over the Bible, that God is concerned about, he's concerned about the foreigners, he's concerned about the poor, he's concerned about orphans, and he's concerned about the widows. These were people in Israelite society 
who were easily taken advantage of and disregarded. And then you get to Jesus, he talks about how you treated me is how you treated those who were hungry, those who were thirsty, those who didn't have clothing, those who were sick, those who were in prison. See, this is the care of God all throughout the whole Bible. To act justly, to make sure that people are treated with fairness and rightness and wholeness in all of God's creation. And so, you know, people, people talk a lot about social justice these days. Thank God. Thank God we should be promoting justice. And if that's a concern of your heart, I praise God for it because that's a great thing. But I also wonder how many of us actually act justly, do justice, do things where people are raised up and treated justly and fairly. What does it mean to do the just thing yourself? We don't have to, we can worry about how everybody else is doing, but what are we doing? What are you doing? Are we acting justly? And so to act justly as yourself, it means I think at least two things. It means, first, that you have to repent of any wrong or unethical treatment to others. You have to repent of any wrong or unethical treatment. You see, God cares about your career, your work, your vocation. And you have to consider, is there anything in your work, is there anything in your vocation that is somehow maybe deceitful to the customer, deceitful to others? Is there anything in your career that takes advantage of someone else? Is there anything that it doesn't promote justice, that isn't fair, that isn't right? And God would have you do something about that. That you can't just turn a blind eye. That God, No, God cares about justice in the workplace and in your community. So it means to make sure that you're not being a part of unethical treatment. And secondly, it's not just to repent of wrong. It's to make sure that others are lifted up. That's the second thing. It means to do good to all in whatever ways that we can in the places that God has called us and put us. And so you ask yourself, who in my life needs, needs a hand? Who in my life needs to be lifted up? Who is not getting the resources that they need? How can I be involved in making sure that they are treated justly and fairly and rightly? So let's act justly. Let's talk about love mercy, which I, am, which I am calling and translating love devotion to God. Love devotion to God. Now this, you know, this is a very famous verse that most of you are probably familiar with the love mercy translation. And I want to give you a little background why I'm... I'm going a little different direction with this. Now, the word mercy there is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. And when it's translated for God, it's almost always talking about God's loving kindness, his faithfulness to his people. It's, all, it's almost always in the context of his, of his loyalty to the covenant, his loyalty to his bride, that he is never going to give up, that he's going to be faithful, that he's going to be devoted, that he's going to be committed. And so uh, many people have begun to catch on that mercy may be... Uh, too small of a way of translating this. And so I want to give you a few things on the screen, a few other ways that people have translated this. The Net Bible, the New English Translation, translates this to be faithful, not to love mercy. Uh, the Christian Standard, uh, newest translation, says to love faithfulness. Uh, Bible commentator Ralph Smith says love devotion. And Claude Mariottini, who was here a couple weeks ago, my professor at Northern, he says this should be translated love commitment to God. Love commitment to God. You see, because God is so committed to us, because he is so faithful to you, because he will never give up on you, because he will always be loyal to his covenant, that's what he is asking you to give him in return, to love being committed to him, to love being loyal to him, to being faithful to him. It's to take pleasure, it's to take delight and joy in being committed to God. I mean, this is the opposite of considering God a burden, like we just talked about earlier. It's the opposite of that. It's just to take del delight and to nurture this love and your commitment to Jesus and to all his ways. You see, there's a difference 
and being committed to God and loving being committed to God. Loving being devoted to God. There's, there's a difference. It's the difference of being grateful. The difference of recognizing all that God has done. The difference of, of a worshipful rejoicing in one's commitment. There's a difference in being committed to my wife and loving being committed to my wife. There's a difference. And the second one is what God is after. To love. To love being committed to God. To love being devoted to God. To take pleasure. To take delight in all that he is and all that he has done. He wants us to love being committed to him. Love being faithful to him. And when you love being faithful to God, it will transform how you treat other people around you. So God wants us to act justly, to love being devoted and committed to him. And finally, to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. What a wonderful, wonderful phrase about living with God, right? And I think this phrase, this implies two things. Uh, it implies first, uh, uh, humble obedience. And the second implies relationship. Let me talk about the first, humble obedience. Humbly, this means to submit yourself to all of God's ways in your life. To walk, some people translate this, walk wisely before God. So that, so that is to, to not live as, as you see fit, but to live as how God sees fit in your life. I think about the famous proverb, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. I think this is what's getting at it here. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You see, walking humbly with God is to submit your way of seeing things to God's way as best as you can. You see, I think we're so, we're so tempted. We're so tempted to be wise in our own eyes. And, I, and, I, and I'm concerned for us that this is what we do, that, that, that we come to the word, that we come to the word with our, with our own preconceptions, our own things about how things should go in the world, our own thoughts about how life should go, our own beliefs, our own worldview, whatever you will. And we take that lens and we, we think about what we like, what we don't like, and we come to the Bible and, we, and then we take that lens and, well, if we don't like that, if that doesn't match, then it's discarded. No, that, that is, friends, that is the opposite of walking humbly with God. Walking humbly with God is, yes, I have my, my own worldview, my preconceptions, but I want to know, I want to know what God says about my life. And whatever I find in here, well, yes, with background and context and all that stuff, I am going to submit myself to his way, to his word. This is going to be the lens that reads me, that interprets me, instead of me putting my own desires on the word. So when we humbly walk with God, we humbly submit to all his ways in our lives, obeying him and making him our Lord. So that's humble obedience. And the last thing I want to talk about is our relationship. Walking with God is, is about relationship with God. The people were wondering, what can I do to bring with God? Is it all this stuff? Is it all these sacrifices? And the answer is no. It's not the sacrifices that God wants per se. It's you. It's not something that you can give him. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your surrender. He wants your life. He wants a relationship, a walk with you. And this is where humility comes in, that we have to humble ourselves to walk with God. Uh, Adam Clark says uh, that he must be your God before you can walk with him. He must be your God. You must, at some point, you must humble yourselves enough to say, yes, God, you are my God. Lord, you are my Lord. To make that decisive commitment at some point in your life to say, yes, I will follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's a decision that, for most people, you make a decisive commitment one time. But for the Christian, it's an everyday decision. 
that you wake up and you say, yes, God, you are my God. Let me walk with you today. Let me walk humbly before you in all my ways. I mean, it's, isn't it humbling to walk with God, to admit that, yes, I need God. I need him in my life, that I don't have it all together, that I can't just make up my own mind and go my own way, that I need God to renew my mind, to renew my life and restore me, to admit our lives only make sense in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is humility. Quote from Dwight Moody that I think really captures this, that I want you, I want you to see so it's on the screen. Moody says, A rule I have had for years is to treat the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal friend. He is not a creed, a mere doctrine, but is, it is he himself we have. Jesus is our treasure. It is himself that you have, that you get to walk with him. What a treasure, what a joy, what a delight to have the, the Son of God walk with us in our lives. So my friends, this is all about keeping the main thing the main thing. We can get distracted by the wall drugs in our lives. We can get distracted by all the things, but God is calling us to live in the glory of the badlands, to live in the glory of his goodness, to walk humbly with him. And I, I, I want to encourage you this morning, don't look around and say, well, well what does so-and-so require, or what does God require of so-and-so or the person in my life or this person in my family? No, he has shown you, the text says. And so I want you to think about inserting your own name. Oh, Nate. Oh, Peter. Oh, Sally. What is good? And what God has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He has shown you, O faith covenant, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. Is it not to act justly, to love being committed, and to walk humbly with your God? And what area do you need the Holy Spirit to breathe new life in that you might find this to be a reality in your life? How can you walk more closely with Jesus this week? How can you make him your personal friend, not just a creed, not just something you believe in, but a reality in your life? What area is God asking you to submit to him? Is there something in his word he's been saying, you know what, this is, this is, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I need you to submit to my ways in this. Is there something God is calling you to? And what if, one, one last thought, what if every person in our church made Micah 6.8 their personal mission statement? What if we all woke up and we said, I'm going to wake up every day and I want to try to act justly and rightly towards others? That I, that I want to love being committed to God today? And then I'm going to walk humbly with him throughout this day as my personal friend. That would change our lives. Can we pray that God would do just that? God, thank you for this wonderful message from the prophet Micah. Lord, that makes it so clear what, what you require from us, that we don't have to wonder we don't have to throw up our hands and say, what are you requiring from us? You have made it so clear. But God, yet we are so weak. We are so needy. And God, in our, in our humility, we, we bow before you. And we beseech you. We ask of you. Come renew our hearts and lives. Come renew our minds. That we might act justly. That we might love being committed to you, God. Not just to be committed, but to love it. To rejoice in you to take delight in you. And Lord, also help us to walk with you each day in humility. God, I do pray that we would have a greater awareness that you are always with us, that you are our friend, and that we get to walk with you every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.